Hello friends, I am back with another First Friday story just for you. First Friday is a series that I started for my newsletter list as a way for my community to get to know me a little better as the person behind Chicken House Press. I am Alana, I am an author, a publisher, an editor, a wife, a mom, I am all the things and as you will learn in this story, I'm also a musician. Now, I didn't start recording these First Friday stories as podcast episodes until four or five months in, so I'm a little behind, obviously. I have been recording an old First Friday story and releasing a new story within an email. So an a recording of an old story is coming out on the same Friday as a new email story. That way it kind of keeps it fresh. Maybe by the time the recording comes out, you're, you've forgotten all about the story and you're ready to hear it in a whole new way. However, this month at the end of the first Friday story, I'm sharing something that is rather time sensitive. And so I'm putting this out all at the same time. Recording and email story is all coming out and the same. And I am not going to apologize for that. I mean, this is what's going to serve me best and hopefully serve you best and give you the information that you need when you need it. So let's dive in. We are talking about how math is magic and how music is math and writing is music. Let's go. I attended a money mindset workshop for women last quarter. It was illuminating, not because I came away with a new $100,000 attitude, but because in her passion, the host began to cry as she spoke about the magic of math. The last time I cried about math, it was in the 12th grade, and it was not because of magic. It was because I was sure I was stupid, and it had been abusive of my teacher to insist I could handle the university track. 50% in advanced mathematics is better than 90% in general. Well, I call foul, sir. I came out with a 54%, the lowest grade of my educational career, and I still harbor uncomfortable feelings for the teacher who, while he meant well, hurt my self-esteem. As an adult, I have come to terms with the fact that math is essential. I use it almost every day, both in my personal life and in business. It's unavoidable. And with all the tools available today, it's not too overwhelming, generally. Still, music is the only math I am truly confident in. Yes, to your ear, music is maybe just an expression of emotion and something to match any particular mood on any particular day. But at its core, music is nothing more than an equation of 13 numbers, notes. Like math, it is an answer to something. And like math... It is always searching for more truth. Unlike high school math, it is a place I can sit, a place where I'm not afraid to toss in some honky-tonk bravado or wild scale just because I feel like it. And even though Bon Jovi makes me play Bed of Roses in B-flat, it still makes sense. Because math. Confidence in music, just like confidence in math, is not something I was born with. It's something I learned through diligent practice. Read, my mother, reminding, pushing, insisting. I began piano lessons as a semi-eager eight-year-old, 
Every year I would compete in the Royal Conservatory of Music Festival, which is a trauma-inducing experience wherein little girls in pretty dresses and little boys in collared shirts and ties sit in a stiff line until they are called. Approach a piano while a room of dead silent eyeballs bore into their back, play a piece by memory, bow, return to the death bench, and then await the decision of the panel of stern judges. Note, in talking through this memory with my mother, she remembers the judges as being very kind. She's probably right, but this is my story, and within the dark cloud where this memory sits, I see every judge as Agatha Trunchbull from Roald Dahl's Matilda. Horror. For me, it went one of two ways. I either took first place or I came dead last. Emphasis on the dead. There was no in-between. My middle school was in the old Durham High School building, the coolest building in town, and a devastating blow when it was torn down years later. In an office separating the two fifth grade classrooms, an old upright piano stood in place of a desk. I was brilliantly cocky about my piece for the festival that year, telling my piano playing friends that I knew I'd get first place. You know me, always humble. Bradley and Ian were both brilliant piano players. Bradley had stubby fingers. Ian had long, slender fingers. I landed somewhere in the middle. Bradley was a passionate player, leaning his whole body in. Ian, and that's I-A-I-N, was technical and precise, which made the extra vowel in his name seem like it didn't match his personality. So they were like real piano players. I just wanted to make up my own versions. They pulled me into the piano office. Okay, show us. When I say that I knew that piece backwards and forwards, I'm not exaggerating. Okay, maybe a little bit. Obviously, I didn't know it backwards, but I bet I could have played it with my eyes closed. I knew it so well. I knew every note, every ritardando, every triplet. If you're a piano player, you have just repeated that in your brain as triplet. Show us, they said. I sat at the piano. I placed my semi-stubby fingers so that my hands bookended middle C. I played the first four bars flawlessly, and then I hit a wall. I started again. Four bars. The song was gone. It had fallen right out of my head. The boy stood behind me, one at each shoulder. You lost it, one said. I don't remember a mocking tone to that voice. They knew the pressure of festival, too. It'll come back, the other said. Would it? I told my mom what had happened as we drove to the festival location. Alana, you know that song. You have practiced and practiced. You know it so well. And I really did. You'll see, she said. It will come back as soon as you sit down. I was in the middle of the bench between boys and girls who were twisting their nervous fingers together. I tried to play my song on my thigh. Four bars. I tried to hear the melody in my mind. Four bars. Children approached the piano and played their pieces beautifully. Then I approached the piano. The dress my mother sewed for me brushing my knees. The Sunday school barrette suddenly heavy in my hair. I sat and placed my fingers. I know this, I know this, I know this. I began. Four bars. A wall. I stopped. Deep breath. I know this. I know this. I know this. I tried again. The cycle repeated. I was in purgatory. This is one of those moments when time stands still. My whole body was hot and cold at the same time. I wanted to cry, but I was so frozen I couldn't even do that. I don't know how many times I restarted that piece. It was my personal Groundhog Day. 
Only instead of getting the joy of 24 hours, I was cursed to repeat four terrifying bars for all of eternity. In that dead silent room where I knew everyone was cringing with discomfort and wishing the pathetic little girl at the piano would just disappear so they could get back to watching proficient pianists perform, I died a little bit. It didn't matter how pretty my dress was or how shiny my church shoes were or how many times I'd practiced that stupid song. In that moment, I was nothing but a creature to stir up pity in others who had no way to rescue me. Finally, a judge leaned into compassion and brought me the sheet music. She set it on the perfectly polished ledge. Maybe this will help, she said, her face laced with communal embarrassment and a hint of condescension. She was a chagrined math teacher, finally allowing me to use a calculator. Memorization is one of the marks of good piano playing, according to festival rules. I was brought up under the Suzuki method, which is all about playing by ear. Each time I graduated to a new level, my music book came with a cassette tape with each of the songs. I was to listen and replicate. Though very little emphasis was placed on the sheet music, it's where I felt most at home. I didn't feel impressed by myself when I could bang out a song from memory. I loved the comfort of language dancing on the page. I took pride in understanding the notes and the symbols and then adding my own touch, much to the annoyance of my piano teacher. Mrs. Brown was a stern, mostly patient teacher, but I lost some respect for her when she told me I needed to cut my nails, even though hers were long and click, click, clicked the keys every time she played a stanza for me to mimic. Still, I knew she would be so disappointed when she heard of this performance, or lack thereof. Having the sheet music appear before me was like being released from prison. All I needed was the tool designed to support me. This was the spoon I would use to dig a tunnel out of my cell. Years later, the Matrix would tell me there is no spoon, but I never believed it. There is a spoon, and I needed it. With that sheet music, I played my festival piece flawlessly, and I took last place. I learned a few lessons that day. One, cocky doesn't win. Two, memorization is not the measure of my skill, no matter what the grown-ups thought. Three, I hate competition. Four, the piano does not have to be a precise tool. I can use it to answer my own questions in my own way, and in the end, it's all still music. I still competed in festivals. I even took first place several times after that showing, but the shadow of that embarrassment accompanied me. There was little joy in lessons. I wanted to be free. I wanted to tell my own story. As I leaned into my own style, I requested a departure from Suzuki books. I wanted to learn the theme song from The Phantom of the Opera. Playing that song was the great joy of my time in formal lessons. I felt like a star when I approached the grand piano at my last recital, laid out the pages I had taped together so that they spanned the entire length of the instrument and began to play, following the notes but adding my own dramatic flair, playing notes that weren't there, gasp, and editing it in such a way to tell the story as I saw it. In some ways, it was bratty. In some ways, it was disrespectful to my teacher. But the audience still applauded, not because I was perfect, but because I gave them a song. I approach my own writing now in much the same way. Yes, there are rules, but they don't really matter. They don't serve me or my story. When I obsess over the shoulds, I become a gatekeeper to my own creativity. Rule following, for me, is a wicked form of self-sabotage. My approach is as follows. Tell the story that I want to tell. 
I don't think about the industry. I don't look at trends. I have never once opened TikTok to learn what I ought to be doing to find success as an author. I write for the pure joy of pouring something out. I write for the magic of seeing something appear where nothing existed before. I embrace this attitude with my business too. Chicken House Press is not looking for trends. I'm looking for heart. I'm looking for the one who sees the rules, respects them, but then dances to their own rhythm in 12-point font for the sheer joy of it. During that Money Mindset seminar, I was challenged to set realistic goals. You guys, I did math, a lot of it, and it was scary and uncomfortable and exciting. There is much to consider as a solopreneur, and one of the biggest things I didn't give attention to, maybe because it's one of those calculator buttons that I never really understood the function of and not enough people are talking about it, it's my time budget. Approaching my needs and wants for Chicken House Press through the lens of an honest time budget I have discovered my next steps. Most importantly, that CHP is fully booked for 2024. That being said, my submission form will be opening on Friday the 13th because submitting a manuscript is vulnerable and very scary. And I will be actively seeking six new projects for publication in 2025. I am only interested in manuscripts that are complete and polished to the point that you, the author, are sick of it. I want heart. I want diversity. I want to have an emotional reaction, whether that's laughter, tears, anger, or fear. I want to feel something. Can't wait until 2025. The service-based publishing model will still be open to 2024 projects under the Atlanta Rusnak Publishing imprint. This requires a financial investment on your part, but it has a faster turnover and leaves much more creative control in your hands. If you want more information about either of these models, please visit the website chickenhousepress.ca. You can find buttons to the various publishing models right on the homepage. Or you can book a free 15-minute chat by visiting the contact page and just scrolling down a little bit. And we can meet to talk through your burning questions and find out which model is best for you and your book. Publishing is math. Your manuscript is a symphony. Maybe it's time for us to make some music together. So that is my horror story of full-on musician's block. And though I was very young, I still carry feelings about that experience. And I feel like I have learned a lot because of it and I do just want to take a moment and thank my mother for making me go through that obviously she didn't make me forget my piece or force me into festival situations but just the dedication she had to pushing me in my piano lessons it means today I can sit down at a piano and just find joy in the music. And that's a great gift. So thanks, mom. I did speak a bit about my own writing in this, my own um, feelings around writing and the real joy I get out of telling stories. And one of the things that I've lost since going into my business full time is a real dedication to my own projects. Now, I have tried to increase that a bit over the last year. And if you've been following my personal social media, you will have seen some of that journey, some of my research trips. Um, I did a solo writing retreat at the beginning of the summer, things like that. Um, so I am trying to lean in 
And one of the things that I'm thinking about and hoping to start as a way to keep me accountable and to continue to make content for you, because apparently there are some people listening. So hi, thanks for being here. I am hoping to start a new mini series within this podcast called Racing Home, which is going to just track hopefully weekly my journey to getting in getting the first book done in my series The Path That Takes Us Home. The first book is called When the Trees All Burned. I'm very excited about it, but I need some motivation and accountability. So, I think if I started this Racing Home series and just shared where I'm at, there will be pressure on me to actually produce something and say, hey, here's how far I've come this week. So this is what I'm considering. I'm hoping to roll that out soon because I do want to see some traction on that book. So that actually in 2025, one of the titles coming out will actually be my own. So that's where we're at. Hopefully that's coming soon. Stay tuned. Um, Keep checking in. And now that I've said all that out loud, I'm feeling a little like I'm going to freak out. <laughs> oh, all the pressure of the time budget. So I have so much I need to unpack. But ultimately, it is super important to me that I complete this stupid book just like I completed that stupid song. But this book is not stupid. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to bring you into the journey. Thank you for being here. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Correction. Bon Jovi's Bed of Roses is actually in the key of F, but it begins on a B flat. So I get a little bit hung up on that. I apologize. It is in the key of F. That's still a stupid key, but it's still acceptable because math. <laughs>